0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, Women and Innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. While this pandemic and everything going on in the world often makes it feel like time is standing still, we are indeed nearing the end of 2020, which also means going into the holiday season. This and other factors have contributed to immense growth within e-commerce. Today's guest, Liat Karpel Gerwitz, is leading the way for Wix, a platform for creating, designing, and imagining websites. Wix has over 170 million plus users, and Liat is ensuring that those customers are keeping up with the latest and greatest in e-commerce and digital. As far as innovation goes, e-commerce creates tremendous opportunities, whether that is in inventory and supply chain, shipping and forecasting, flash sales, live chats, automation, and more. Liat gives us a very in-depth understanding of all of the above and the opportunities that sellers in the space can use these tools to innovate. Prior to joining Wix over six years ago, Liat was a vice president at Conduit, Israel's first billion dollar company. She also worked at DB Motion as a product marketing manager and spent three years in her career working in technical writing. Tune in to hear more about how to stay ahead of the curve in e commerce and the amazing wealth of knowledge Liat offers our listeners. Hello, Liat. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast.
1: Hi, Zoya. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We are in the middle of the greatest e-commerce shift in history, and you are head of e-commerce marketing for Wix, the platform for creating, designing, and managing websites. So what about e-commerce intrigued you and prompted you to join Wix? So
1: I've been at Wix about six years now, so I've been there a long time. Um, And I've had the privilege over the years of working on different markets and products for Wix. So I've been working in e-commerce at Wix for uh, almost two years now. Um, And when I made the shift into um, the e-commerce group and focusing on this market, um, it just seemed like such an amazing opportunity uh, to me, both for myself and for the company um, and a really interesting space. And I also obviously knew the work that was coming there in the product um, and what we wanted to do. And I really wanted to be part of that and and support that. And then before you joined Wix, you were working in marketing
0: at Conduit, a cloud-based technology company. That was Israel's first billion-dollar company. So what was that experience like, and how did you come about working
1: there? I've always worked in tech my entire career, so it's uh, over 15 years now. And because I live in Israel, so the startup nation, there are obviously a lot of really amazing tech companies around. I've always done marketing. It's what I knew I wanted to do from the beginning. I studied business and marketing at university. So then I obviously always wanted to match that with a really great product, um, something that I believed in, that I could get behind, that I felt like was innovating and doing things different. So I joined Conduit um, in 2010. Um, and it was just around the time that, you know, smartphones were really taking off. The whole world of mobile applications was starting to become a thing, and everyone was figuring out what that looked like. So I joined what was then a business unit, and ultimately became the company which rebranded as Como. Um, but I joined Conduit Mobile, and we developed a platform that allowed anyone to create their own mobile app. And then launched that, and you know, even the the platforms that we worked with looked really different um, over the years. When we started, um, we obviously had Apple um, and Google and Android um, apps, but um, we also had things like uh, Windows Phone and Baidu and and Nokia, so and BlackBerry. So it kind of evolved over time, that, you know, as that industry settled and and everyone focused in on where the big app markets would be.
0: And then, of course, tech is notoriously difficult to get into and continues to be male-dominated around the world. Um, You said that you've always been in tech, but what helped you get into the space?
1: I I definitely prepared for it in terms of, you know, that was what I focused on, both in terms of my studies and also um, the positions that I took while I was studying as a student. So I took on positions in tech companies to kind of get that experience under my belt. And then... I was just fortunate to have great opportunities. So, you know, uh, I I knew it was what I wanted, but I was also lucky that the opportunity there worked for me. And I think I've also always been, especially as a woman, I've been conscious of looking for companies that would allow me that equal opportunity and that gave the kind of work atmosphere and, you know, an opportunity and support that I was looking for. Um, And I've been fortunate that I've found companies like that and that I've been able to make those choices. You know, I don't think that that's a given, that everyone gets to make those choices. And I think that over the years also, I've kind of understood that it's also part of my responsibility and an obligation that I have to others to help support that and kind of extend that ecosystem and that network. And
0: then within Wix, you mentioned that you've been with e-commerce for about two years now. What was your prior role within Wix and, and how was it different from the one today?
1: So I've always worked um, on strate- on strategic marketing areas for Wix, so just for different audiences. So over the years, I focused on our either creative audiences or developers or professional audiences, so... At different times, you know, work focusing on different areas of the product um, and different customer groups that we're working with.
0: And then there are, of course, many types of marketing, but your experience is specific to product, something that you've mentioned. How do you believe product marketing contributes to innovation and enables its success?
1: I always say when I do product marketing, I get to kind of enjoy the best of both worlds because you dance that line between product and marketing. So I think if you think about it, there's sort of this triangle of you have the product and you have the market and then you have your group of customers. Um, And I think at its core, what product marketing does is really understands those three areas really well um, and then brings them all together, whether it's taking the insights from the market back to product in terms of how you innovate the product and how you grow it and how you develop or taking that feedback from customers um, on what they need and what they're looking for, and also then taking that back into the product and then taking the product and then taking that to market, packaging it, doing all of the storytelling around that so that you're able to really convey to customers what your product is and and how it's meeting their needs. And the case
0: for e-commerce is of course obvious. We are all digital, we are shopping digital, What are some ways that you think those that are creating an e-commerce storefront can innovate themselves and stand out amongst the competition?
1: So I think e-commerce is all about innovation um, at every level, whether it's the product that you're selling, so what your business is, um, or what your brand is, and how you're developing that brand, how you're developing the relationship with your customers, how you're building a community or a network around those customers. And then also the ways that you're reaching those customers, like what are the channels that you're using to engage with your customers or to sell to your customers? So I think those are things that every e-commerce business has to think about and plan really carefully. And I also think that there are areas that they're continually adjusting. So it's not that you do that once. You know, As an e-commerce business, you continually need to adapt your business um, and innovate what you're doing and how you're reaching those customers.
0: And have you seen any really exciting case studies within your business or examples that you can talk about that really strike out to you as being an innovative use of e-commerce?
1: Well, we have so many. It's, it's hard to choose just one, but like I'll, I'll think of some that come like top of mind. We have a really great business um, called The Spice Suite, um, who started as um, a brick and mortar spice shop. Um, so they were selling mostly um, in person to customers. And their whole approach was really great. They're very like community-focused. They're about building that network within the community. Um, and the business and brand grew really well. And then um, around uh, the end of last year was when they started to kind of dip into selling online, um, which for them proved to be a really, really great decision considering what happened this year with COVID and how everything changed. So... They had gotten a little bit of e-commerce experience under their belt and then were able to really transition all of their business online over those last few months. And they have a really interesting business model where they they sell in um, kind of drops. So their their store isn't open with the products um, every single day and they, they create and, and make these unique spice blends and bring them from all over the world. So whenever they have Um, products it's usually once a month or so and then they announce um the new the, the new product drop um to their community mostly on instagram so like their preferred channel is is instagram and that community is so engaged and so strong they sell out every time within a couple of hours so Angel, who's the the founder of Spice Suite, always calls it a sport. She says that people really have to compete these days just to make it in on time and, and grab a product. So it's been really great to see what they've been able to do and how, how they've adapted. You've spoken about getting consumers really
0: excited about the product through using some of these techniques. What advice would you give to those selling products that are maybe more difficult to kind of explain the experience of online, for example, perfume or even food? How do you think people can get over those barriers?
1: I think you have to use... Every tool that you have, and I always talk about like a product page as being essentially your storefront. So making sure that you're utilizing that to the maximum. So depending on the product, and I'll get back to perfume in a second, but definitely you want to have really great photos there, maybe videos um, on the page, really detailed description, um, and everything about the product that people need to know. So maybe they need to know the ingredients of the product. So in the case of perfume, I imagine that matters to a lot of people, how it's produced, is it sustainable? Is it eco-friendly? Is it healthy? Is it whatever? Like any information that people would need to make the decision about that. I always recommend testimonials. So the more people are able to see other people's experience with the product and how um, they've you know enjoyed it and and what they think of it um, and their advice is always very helpful. And then if you have a product that really does require some kind of physical interaction, then then think about what you do there. Actually, my neighbor, um, she doesn't sell perfumes, but she sells um, cosmetics, and she has this line of face oils. And what she does is she has a little sample kit. So you can order the sample kit um, on her website, and then you get like these tiny little testers. Um, and then once you've had the opportunity to sample them, then you can order the full product. So that's, that's another way of getting around those kinds of challenges.
0: And then, of course, with holiday season coming up, I'm sure lots of people want to know the rest of your tips and tricks. One that you recently wrote an article about is this notion of flash sales. So can you share more about some of the things that people can use to really succeed this holiday season?
1: Sure. So many businesses have seen, um, have been lucky to see increased demand this year in terms of e-commerce because so many consumers are moving online for all of their shopping needs. But not all of those businesses were prepared. They didn't necessarily have the right e-commerce platform in place. They didn't necessarily have the right fulfillment solutions in place. And even those who did have seen huge challenges with their supply chain or with how they're able to ship those products. I think you really need to think about all of those areas Um, and I think also learn from the experience that you had over the last few months where we've all kind of seen how COVID is affecting us and affecting the business. So I would say, first of all, diversify suppliers. Make sure that you have a plan B and a plan C there so that if a supplier is running into issues that you're able to shift quickly. I would say you definitely wanna make sure that you are planning and stocking inventory. So in terms of planning, you wanna do your research really carefully. What are consumers searching for this holiday season? You know We know people are buying differently and they're buying different things online than what they usually buy. So go and research the trends, look what people are searching for, look at the hot products in the different marketplaces and make sure you're aligning there. And then look at your own data look at your data for last year's holiday season, but also really look at your data for those early months of COVID, which are a good indicator of what people want from your business online. And then I would focus in on making sure you're stocking those products, right? The products that are most likely to sell. Obviously as Wix, I'm gonna say this, get your website ready, right? So there's a lot of things you can do to help yourself and help the business on the website. Make sure all the information that your customers need is there. How long does shipping take what happens if i need to get a refund or return a product i always recommend having like a live chat on the website it means that you're able to respond to customers really quickly which is great customer service but it also means that you handle issues quickly before they become bigger issues for your for your business and then finally stagger your marketing efforts so going back to like the flash sales right so i think we're so used to the holiday season looking like this, hu- looking like a huge peak around Thanksgiving when we have the Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, weekend with all the typical holiday sales. Obviously, that's not happening this year. But I think even if you want to use that as one of your selling events, you still don't want to create that full peak around that weekend. First of all, it's really late in the season, which means if you're going to have any shipping delays after that... Um, people are really going to be tight in terms of the holidays, so you don't want to disappoint customers. So I say sell early and sell in like smaller peaks. Do many fewer sales um, so that, that you're reaching customers consistently and you're able to fulfill consistently on that. Everyone wants to sell early. And honestly, shoppers want to buy early. I mean, in August alone, we were seeing um, on our platform 490% growth in online gift store sales. So, you know, shoppers understand that it's complicated this year and they want to buy early too. And then as far as
0: marketing channels, once you've done all of your tips and set everything up on Wix, of course, um, how would you recommend leveraging other marketing channels to promote what it is that you're
1: doing? I think this is always like a classic D2C versus marketplace debate. And honestly, I think there is a room for a huge mix there. Like any business, you need to match the channel to your audience and also to your goals. Are you trying to sell to an existing customer base? If you already have customers and you want to reach out to them, then I recommend doing things like email marketing and SMS marketing. And obviously, your existing customers um, are always your greatest asset. They already like your brand. They've already purchased from you in the past. They, they left their contact information with you. So reach out to them and make sure that you're offering something that they'll love. And, you know, you have that direct communication and channel with them. On the other hand, if you're trying to reach new customers, right, then you want to look at things like either search engines or social platforms um, or marketplaces. So each of those come with their own challenges. Um, obviously there's competition that you need to deal with and you really need to know what you're doing and how you set up those channels and how you set on them. So here, I think it's going to come down to like every business and the stage that you're at and really where your customers are. So you need to know where it is that your customers spend time. You know, are they on Facebook? Do they read newsletters? Are they shopping on Amazon? You need to do this research and then try and reach them where they are.
0: You are a wealth of knowledge. So I'm sure in all of your years working in the space, you've developed some leadership advice or principles for yourself. So what are some key leadership principles that you believe are important to you working in consumer tech or in general?
1: As a leader, it's, it's really just about a, being a good example to everyone. I think being really clear on what you're doing and why you're doing it. I really believe in people, you know, understanding what they're doing and then enabling them to do that more independently and hopefully with more buy-in from them and with them really, you know, understanding what they're trying to achieve, what the goal is, and then going after that and and having that strong belief there. So I think, you know, that at, at the core, it's that. Just be really, really clear on like what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it and keep... Keep repeating that. I think like sometimes the mistake we make is we think it's enough to say these things once. So you really need to keep repeating that, keep explaining it, um, and then just be, be the example of whatever it is that you're trying to do.
0: And so looking back a little bit into your own experience, what would you say has been the biggest failure in your career and how have you learned from it?
1: I met Omer, who's the CMO at Wix. When I was on my first maternity leave, so when I had my my oldest son, and I guess like the, those when you go on maternity leave, it's it's often like a window in time when you assess like what's the next stage, what do you want to do when you go back, and and at the time he he asked me then to join to join Wix, and I was working at Conduit, and, um, and I knew that we were gonna go through the process of the rebrand and launching and extending the platform. So while Wix seemed interesting to me, I really wanted to see that through and felt like I had an obligation to to see it through. So I did. I went back after maternity leave and I did that, I think, for about a year before I eventually did join Wix. So I don't know if it was a mistake, but it's definitely a question that I've asked myself over the years, like, what if I would have come sooner? So I don't know like I I think that's that's one of those moments but I I don't know if I regret it either because I think I, I felt like I I had responsibility there and I'm I'm glad that I did see it through. You know, it's I think with every opportunity there's always a choice like you don't get to do everything.
0: And you mentioned going on maternity leave. Um, I'm not sure if you've gone on maternity leave more than once or once, but I think it's really interesting to understand how that has shaped your career and how you've maneuvered this as you continue to rise the ranks.
1: So I've been on maternity leave twice. I have two sons. So the first one was uh, first time was at conduit. And then the second time was at Wix um, after I'd been at Wix for a couple of years. So <laughs> I think as a woman, there's always um, some fears, I guess, around when you make that transition in life in, in every aspect. You know, it's a huge impact on who you are as a person, what your life looks like. Obviously, there's certain impact on, on your career, especially if you're choosing to take time off for maternity leave. So I think there's always um, concerns and, and worries there. But I'll say that in my case, they've, it's always been a situation where I've come back To more opportunity. Um, And also, I think that it gives you a lot of opportunity for for perspective. First of all, just the time off and the time apart really lets you think about what the things are that you're doing and and what you want to do and what you want to be doing. And then, just, you know, growth as a human being always gives you a a different perspective on on things and, and how you go about doing that. And in the case of my first maternity leave, I actually. Use that time to do a really great program that Google offers. So Google have this program called Campus for Moms, where women on maternity leave come with their babies. Um, but you you come in like you get a group together and you can really develop um, a startup idea that you have. Um, and they bring a lot of resources to work with the different groups to develop the the product and the startup. So on, on my first maternity leave, I did, I did that. Um, I started, I think Ethan, my son was almost two months when I started. So he would, he just went with me and, and we, I did that, um, throughout my maternity leave. And as I was doing that, I think it just kind of opened a window for me in terms of me being able to do a lot of things with having a baby. And I did, I would go to conferences and I would just like have him in the, the baby carrier and he would go with me and I, I would do all these things. So, um, you know, I, I think the challenge for me was that I knew that for me, just staying home is a very, is a, is a struggle, right? That's not what, what I choose to do. I knew that I would want to go back to work and also I, I need that kind of interaction and, and challenge. So it was figuring out how I do that via mom and kind of balance the things together. So that that was, I guess, the first um, time that I had to figure out how how to do both. And so do you have any advice
0: or tips or tricks that you can recommend besides, of course, enrolling in that Google program, which sounds incredible?
1: For me, I'll, I'll say that I feel like it's more of the juggle than the balance. Like a lot of people talk about finding balance. And I don't think that, the, that there is necessarily a whole lot of balance there. Certainly not if you want to keep having, you know, a career where you're very focused on that and, and, and also want to be hands-on as a parent. So I, I always say, like, I have a, a million balls in the air and it's juggling, whether it's being a wife, a mom, a friend, a sister, a manager, a daughter, like I have a lot of different roles in life. And I I need to figure out um, where I'm putting my energy at any given moment. So I think it's more about prioritizing like on every day. And um, on different days, different things win, like some days, family wins, and some days work wins. And, you know, they're not all the same. And, And that's kind of the the juggle. So getting to the point where, A, we talk about that and we know that you know that, that's the choice that, that we're making is is part of the work that we need to do. And to kind of make it okay for women to have those conversations, because I think that it's often very uncomfortable for women to talk about those things.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us today. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will very much benefit from that. So before I let you go, I did want to ask you one last innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry in one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now?
1: One month from now, I imagine that I'm still working from home. My kids are remote schooling. Um, And as we spoke about before, the e-commerce industry is heading into holiday season, so A month from now, I imagine we'll be in peak holiday season time. Hopefully, all of the businesses on our platform are selling like crazy and we're supporting them doing that. And although I wish life was going back to more normal, I imagine I will be working from home with my kids while I kind of juggle all of that stuff. So that's a month from now. A year from now, first of all, I imagine that the e-commerce space looks really, really different. So, you know, this year has been a year of hyper growth for everyone. So even though for a long time, e-commerce has been growing and kind of that consumption has been gradually shifting online, I think this year just sent that entire industry into hyper growth. Um, And it's changing the way we do things. It's changing the way consumers shop and it's changing the way we expect to shop and to be able to shop. So that's on the one hand. Um, And on the other hand... I think platforms that enable e-commerce and the tools around e-commerce are also growing massively. So, you know, as the demand for that grows from businesses and consumers, we're all growing along with that to support all of that better. So a year from now, I actually can't wait to see what the e-commerce space looks like. like I know it's bigger than it is today and better, hopefully, than it is today, but seeing all of that massive growth. And I hope that I see a lot more businesses succeeding there and figuring out this really complicated journey that they have to go on. I think if 2020 was this year of massive adjustment and adapting and doing everything really in a responsive, crazy way as the world shifted around us, I hope that businesses now have opportunity to put more thought into that and to kind of figure out how they build that in into their strategy and their ongoing plan so that they're able to really make that um you know a more natural part an ongoing part of what they're doing in their day to day um and that it feels feels less crazy to them than it does now and i really really hope that a year from now like life looks more normal for all of us and that we're able to go out more and travel more and see people more 10 years from now i hope that i'm just doing still doing things that i find challenging and that i love you know, it's hard for me to say what those things will be because I think they they change and shift as we grow and things change around us. But I hope that that, I, that I'm still doing something that, that challenges me and that I enjoy with people that I like working with. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining us today on the Win-Win Podcast, Liat. It's been an absolute pleasure having you.
1: Thank you, Zoya. For me too.
0: Thanks for listening to Win-Win, brought to you by WIN, women in innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit WomenInInnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.